fateful voyage through the Delta Quadrant. I am your host, Joseph. And I'm Peter. And uh, we are back uh, here for our our fourth installment, our fourth bite at the Voyager Apple. Peter, I told you this episode was good when we last spoke. Well, I believed um, you. <laughs> and you believed me. Am I a liar? Uh, partial mm, yeah yes yes <laughs> when in doubt hate yeah i uh i was i was angry at this episode because i remembered it being really good and then there's nothing quite as crushing as failed expectations there's nothing that nothing quite like having a high hopes and having them dashed in front of you uh, you watched the episode a little bit before I did earlier in the week, and uh, it's definitely, you know, I saw that message come across that you were not a happy camper on it. So I adjusted my expectations a little lower going in. And I, you know, joking aside, I'll say that I was pretty pleased with where this came at. This is uh, episode four for our season one voyage. Uh, and I would say it's definitely better than that last pile of shit we watched. I was very excited not to have uh, a third sequential episode focused on temporal distortion nonsense. Uh, And I think they lay some pretty solid groundwork. There's a little bit of uh, daytime soap opera TV splashed in here, but there's there's some good stuff going on. I think that um, this episode is a perfect example of why people don't like this show. Or perhaps even maybe wanted to like the show and then felt like they couldn't. I'll get into that more later. But it, it has definitely some interesting parts in it. And I am absolutely looking forward to uh, to getting into that. But it was an infuriating experience to watch. I was angry at the end of it. And I, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bottle it in, you know, like, like any good adult. I'm going to take all my emotions. I'm going to cram them down. Until we get to the right time. Grab some four-letter expletives and jam them in there like a cork, and then eventually it'll all just spew out all over the place. Yeah, and maybe it'll form into a nice little Star Trek cancer or something. I don't know. (laughs) But uh, let's go ahead and start. We start with the episode uh, on a hallway shot of of Captain Janeway and Commander Substitute Teacher uh, Chakotay uh, chilling out, talking about on the hunt for some dilithium crystals. This uh this part confused me kind of off the cuff and you know as we go through these Voyager episodes, part of it's you know what's today's episodic adventure going to be, and the other part is an overarching story. And I would say you know as we're watching this, the Voyager has to be one of the most cohesive stories from season to season because it's all ultimately the quest to get home and the problems they create that come back to haunt them on the way home. So, you know, I think when we really start splitting hairs on background issues, it's justified because it's a part of the big picture, and that is this quest to get home. I know I keep hammering in on it, but, you know, we've got, again, a long-range deep space exploration vehicle that is pretty much fresh off the assembly line. Why the hell are dilithium crystals even a problem within, what, the first month of them being out to sea? Whatever they got at DS9... They didn't top off the tank. They didn't get any extra serpentine belts. They, you know, they they don't have any spark plugs. These these guys apparently left with none of the things 
uh, done that you should do to uh, to your starship at its first 30,000 mile service. Tires were not kicked and, uh, you know, they did not fill this gas tank up for sure. I, I don't. I can't say I know what the lithium lifespan is, but certainly we seem to be. Maybe it's like uh, laser jet ink printers that you buy from Best Buy or CompUSA back in the day. Uh, I used to be a, a, a computer salesman, and I knew that the laser ink cartridges, not laser, I'm sorry, the bubble jet cartridges, they'd give you these shitty starter cartridges that were like a fifth full of what a normal cartridge would be. So. You'd burn through that factory ink real fast, then have to go out and get the real gouge for the the heavy, expensive cartridge. Oh shit! Yeah, that was the hustle, man. They practically gave those printers away so they could start chewing on that black gold. That's how Utopia Planitia works, too, man. You know, they just uh, the first taste is free, and then they get you that dilithium I, addiction. I, I mean, kidding aside, I kind of get maybe the idea that because Voyager was expecting this to be a a a bounty hunt, a three hour terrorist, tour. a three hour tour, if you will, that perhaps they didn't come loaded up for a, a, a long, long cruise, but they never talk about that. They never mention it. They never have any dialogue to say, well, we weren't expecting to be in the Delta quadrant. So we are completely unprepared for this. It's just, well, our shit's all falling apart. So I guess we got to fix it. It's stuff they know they need to uh, address. And I don't think they ever really, like, they'll throw obstacles out there. There's no explanation into it. And all you need is a couple throwaway lines. I, I suppose the easiest explanation that they could have went with is, man, that explosion really fucked a lot of our stuff up and the hull ripped open and all of our cargo bays got purged of all the, you know, extra supplies we should have had to make this even a reasonably functional vessel. And now we got to scavenge like motherfuckers. Part of this conversation that uh, Chakotay has having with Janeway, she's like, I want eggs Benedict and all this other crap. But that's what I'm thinking of anyways. Really, I'm going to be eating fr- you know, freeze-dried foods and, and nutrient capsules or whatever. They're still directly referencing the replicators being down with no good explanation as to why are these replicators turned off? Are they diverting power into the engines? Because later in the episode, they they very clearly are using replicator technology for like medical instruments and and God knows what else. But there's no explanation of you know why why are we not able to produce food through these things? Again, a couple lines of dialogue, just like you said, would fix it. Because I can imagine that because they are trying to conserve as much energy as possible, they're limiting the use of of the replicators to only the most urgent or Priority. Exigent priority items, and therefore we're going to eat out of these ration packs and we're not going to replicate food because we're saving it for whatever stuff we need to do for the medical bay or anything that we have to do for engineering purposes. And and I totally understand that that could be that's good headcanon that certainly fits their circumstance, but they never actually address it. They just we've got this problem and we got to go fix it, which sucks. Uh, you know, maybe we're, again, splitting hairs here on minor stuff, but again, the, the situation, the supposition of why Voyager is in this predicament, how it's in the predicament, it all seems pretty important. Again, say, say the replicators use an ungodly amount of power and that's why we can't use it. If you've got food in Ziploc bags, that to me says like, oh man, we just got fucked up. There's force fields holding the ship together. There's no power. We're going to run out of oxygen. Like that's super oh shit food, not like Nah, I'm going to have one for breakfast, one for lunch, and one for dinner. I, it, it keeps sticking out like the sore thumb to me. You know, we keep saying 
maybe we're nitpicking, but you know what? This That's is what you fucking, signed up for. This is fucking Star Trek, exactly. This is the the property for nitpicking nerds. Yes. And we're not asking for a lot. Hell, we came up with our own explanation that fits within the narrative they made. Yep. We just want them to acknowledge in some coherent fashion in the narrative, this is what's going on. These writers have brought nail clippers to a gunfight. They really they really have. And uh, the whole first bit of this dialogue is just, again, talking about how they have this problem, but not talking about why they have it, aside from they're stranded in a Delta Quadrant. What do you know about uh, the Navy in real life? Anything? I mean, my my sister, uh, God bless her, and my uh, my brother in law were both in the Coast Guard, and they were been stationed on on Coast Guard vessels. But that's as far as my knowledge goes, as front of what I've learned from them. What's what's the deal with uh, staffing? Like, if Janeway's not on the bridge, Chakotay's not on the bridge. Who's running the show? And you know, how how lucky are they that all of their problems will always occur during first shift when you have uh, all of your executive staff up there at the same time? <laughs> My only awareness of that is from some anecdotal stories from the two of them about how junior officers uh, very much tend to get stuck with the undesirable shifts, particularly the late night ones. There's an officer of the watch type of situation where there's someone nominally in charge, making sure the boat's going in the right direction and and that people are on the lookout for, I don't know, fucking icebergs or drug smugglers, whatever they're out or there. Or temporal like, shards. Or temporal shards or whatever. Yes. But uh, I don't know much more than than there is a kind of a shift rotation. And, of course, the, the lower down the totem pole you are, the shittier your shift is, which is like any fucking workplace, really. So so it makes sense that the captain and XO are both uh, wandering the halls and there's nobody really important on bridge. Yeah, potentially. And fortunately for them, they've got time to have their breakfast. And Janeway goes to her private captain's dining room. Enjoy some some uh, powdered eggs and tomatoes or whatever, and she comes in. And who should be there? Snarf, snarf. Space snarf, snarf is got like ten burners going in this brand new semi improvised kitchen. He's got all kinds of shit going. He's got side dishes of, of, of little vegetable looking things. He's got little meat looking things go he's got some things that look like some eggs he's got some starches he's got a whole he's he looks like a cook at a buffet in las vegas right now he's got a whole kind of shit let me tell you what i saw i saw a hobo in a hobo camp uh, in a underneath a, an overpass i saw a couple trash can fire going there and what was very clearly a homeless person grilling up some rats <laughs> Well, it could be. I mean, the man's an alien from a race they've never encountered, and he's making the food. God only knows what the hell Talaxians eat. What the fuck does anyone in Federation know about that? So it could be. It could be Space Rat. It could be Talaxian Space Rat. I like it. And also, I want to go back on the uh, the replicator thing here and just kick this dead horse some more. Where the hell did he get this ugly-ass apron-chef's hat combo? Because that does not look like a Talaxian chef's hat. That's very clearly... Uh, an earthen chef hat it is the ugliest material i think i've ever seen so unless somebody was just like oh hey look i had this stowed in my locker neelix you're putting together hobo kitchen help yourself like this motherfucker is running that replicator and uh, i think that's the real story that they should be telling in this episode is uh people creating a black market for replicator engine energy and using it behind janeway's back well i i think he probably replicated the same time he got his his 
discount African king outfit that he's wearing underneath <laughs> the uh, apron. Yes. Be terrible. So, so, you know, maybe he got a discount by getting, you know, getting like the pattern no one used was like less energy. So he's able to get a chef hat and an apron out of the deal. I don't mm-hmm. know how leprechauns work. I'm, I'm making I'm making that up in my head. And that makes sense to me. As we we soon find out, uh, Neelix has essentially requisitioned uh, the captain's uh, dining room, not knowing that it was the captain's dining room to create a galley because he thought, well, you know, everyone was complaining about the ration pack, so he's going to make some Talaxian space rat, and he's going to serve it up uh, hot and fresh out his hobo kitchen, and everyone everyone's going to enjoy. And uh, I did enjoy Janeway's grab of the shoulders and death stare of, who authorized this? Who fucking told you to do this? And then she kind of melts once he admits he, he did it on his own, and he was just trying to be a helper. Real culprit here is uh, apparently there's no door locks or sense of privacy. She's trying to bust his balls about, you know, uh, if you would check the schematics, you'd know this is off limits. Like, hey, look, lady, you're letting Snarf Snarf and his child bride just roll up on the bridge in engineering and every other goddamn nerve center that you guys have uh, strategically and tactically vulnerable to ill will. Why do you think he would give two shits about your private dining hall? Like uh, the doors are open to this guy. It'd be a real motherfucker if the door to the captain's dining room was locked, but main engineering wasn't. What would that tell you about Janeway's strategic priorities? Yeah, you can go down to where the warp core is and where like one photon grenade would destroy everyone on this on this ship and, and doom mm. us all to the the great abyss. Uh, but if you try and break into where my you know special reserve of Romulan ale is. Yeah. You are you are triple fucked. That door is super locked. You cannot get in. Don't fuck with my chocolate or my his, her coffee. Uh, I guess would be the the correct uh, in canon character vice for Janeway. Yeah. But anyway, um, uh, there's a there's a call to the bridge because um, they're on the hunt for this asteroid that uh, has uh, dilithium in it, according to Neelix. And so they take off to the bridge and, and Neelix puts some rando extra in charge of all of his alien fires in his hobo kitchen. Uh, totally, again, not OSHA compliant because that shit is a super fire hazard. And it's like engulfing the entire uh, mess hall in flames as the shot fades out. So Wait, wait, wait. So I, I keep touching on this and the, I'm really starting to get a clear picture uh, that Neelix has the potential to be a really great saboteur and nobody's seeing it. I mean, we keep joking about the entrance to the bridge and engineering and nobody bats an eyelash at this guy's just like charismaing his way in everywhere. Like maybe he's got like crazy pheromones that just ingratiate him to people, but look at what's going on here. He's commandeered a private area of the vessel. He's got like open trash dumpster fires going. There's no fire suppression. This dude's like actively deactivating key safety systems on the vessel rerouting power so that he can make the kitchen and not only that he just served a bunch of unknown food to all of the officers on the ship yeah like you know what it, it could make him all sick he'd have cyanide in it this neelix could be a master spy mm-hmm. i like it that's gonna be my working theory from now on is that he is actively hampering uh and endangering the crew with fire bombs and whatnot i like it they're up on the bridge, boring stuff, boring stuff, boring stuff. He snarf snarfs his way onto an away team mission, even though, you know, Chicote doesn't seem to be having it. 
they beam down to the surface. I don't what's what's the name of this asteroid? Do they even name it or no? And they don't name it. I think they even call it a, like a rogue planetoid, so it's like an upgraded asteroid. Yeah, and they just beam into a, a set reused clearly from DS9. I don't know if you uh, saw that. We're going to get to what's being reused here because it hit me over the head like a fucking hammer. They, they get down. The cave looks all right. I mean, it's smooth, even dirt floor, which looks very soundstagey. But, you know, I thought as far as... St- standard 90s TV soundstage cavern for a sci-fi. Yeah, like, it, was, it was good. Uh, I'll give it I'll give it a... Three out of five '90s caves. Something else to keep in mind here, and as I'm watching, I'm 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 keeping track, right? Next gen, and I can't speak to DS9, but next gen, you didn't really see phasers included as part of the standard away team package that often. If they were, maybe it was like the type ones that you could like hide in whatever that weird little hip pocket they had. Were Voyager away team missions are consistently beaming down with the type two phasers, which is like, we're expecting some shit. Like that's the go-to space gun. It introduces an interesting concept that, you know, they, these guys are ready for trouble every time. There's no diplomatic. Hey, we don't want to appear hostile. Like they're beaming in hot and heavy, ready to go. Most of the time with phasers already drawn out in a very hostile action. And it got me to thinking like, You've got a lot of limited commodities on Voyager currently. Dilithium, obviously, power, uh, repair parts, this and that. And, and most importantly, the crew. If you have someone who dies, there's no replacement. You're not going to keep running into Maquis vessels to conscript uh, convicts into military service. Like There's no second chances. And as you lose people and get fucked up, that's it. You're down people permanently. I get you know, that they're being suspicious. They're in an unknown part of the galaxy going into an unknown place. It makes sense that they've got their service nines ready to go, you know, beam in with their glocks out. I get it. Minus Neelix, though. And Neelix has already shown once that he's got his own gun, which nobody seemed to. Yeah, they beamed him onto the ship. Like, did the transporters just completely miss from, like, the first episode? This guy's fucking packing heat when he terroristically destroyed the uh, Kmart Klingon's water that they had been uh, bartered with. But yeah, they, they got the com badge on him. They don't have him in a uniform and they're just kind of, I don't know. He seems like a, like a Robin out there. He's just brightly colored yellow thing floundering about with a big target on his back. And wouldn't you know it, they're exploring this cavern and they're trying to find the dilithium and they're getting some, some weird readings. Some feels like there should be, but they're not finding it. It's Chakotay, it's, it's Harry Kim and it's, it's Snarf Snarf all trying to find the stuff. And Star starts kind of getting further and further out of the, the search area. Because they pull a classic Scooby-Doo gang. Hey, guys, let's split up. We're packing phasers. We're obviously expecting the potential for strong trouble. But you know what? Fuck it. Spread out. And, of course, Snarf Snarf gets far enough away from from his compatriots uh, that uh, he gets he schnookered gets uh, by the classic rope-a-dope of distraction by clearly a Cardassian hallway reused from no, DS9. No, 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 This fucking hallway, dude. If if episode two, what the hell was that last episode? Fucking the bad temporal episode. What was that called? Time and again. Time and again reused the temporal riff from episode two, Parallax. Mm-hmm. We still have not broken free from this like heavy reusing... That fucking hallway that this dude's chilling out in, it is the exact same 
goddamn hallway from the last fucking episode that uh, Janeway encounters the the candy corn terrorists trying to sabotage that stupid. <laughs> Dude, I, I saw it because, like, that last oh, episode. Shit, I think, yeah, I think you're right. You don't think, I took pictures. This is why this episode <laughs> took me so fucking long to get to. At two hours in this episode, my wife, I paused. I backed out of the episode. She's like, I'm not sitting through you doing this. I'm out. My wife bailed on me. I went into it. It is the exact same goddamn hallway. In one, it's got a tan <laughs> light, and the other one, it's got a blue light. Like, oh, man. I, who, who is writing these episodes, man? Like, do they not know that people are going to be watching them in the order that they're putting them on TV and see very obviously that they're just reusing the same concepts and the same sets? This is Voyager. This isn't next gen season one. These guys got a budget. I think that, again, even on top of that, it's a reuse from from DS9 because it looks clearly like a, like a hallway on 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 the station. So it's it's a reuse of a reuse that they've already reused. I'm putting these fucking pictures up on Twitter or the Facebook group. Or like, once this episode gets ready to go, let me know because I'm going to throw these goddamn like it just yeah. blew my fucking mind. I'm like, how stupid do you think people are? Can't is there no strip mall you could go film this thing in? I mean, I see you've already used the the one shopping mall in the area. <laughs> I mean, if you're willing to do critical expository dialogue and your pilot on a fucking escalator, can't we can't we vary our hallway use? But I guess not. Um, but the rope dope works, and some shadowy alien nails Snarf Snarf right in the chest with some kind of, of beam. He's got like a and we don't, frangy energy whip looking effect going on with it. We don't see exactly what happened with it. We, what we next see is the is Chakotay and Kim scattering to get to Snarf Snarf, and they find him convulsing on the ground. They beam him back onto the ship and and start to to triage what's wrong with him. Something you glossed over here. You got a three man away team. Chakotay is pretty firm with like, hey, follow orders. You know, you're not supposed to be on this away team mission. You're only here because you con the captain into it. Chakotay's like, you know, fall in, close ranks, don't wander too far. Neelix just straight up ignoring him, right? So so they've got their tricorders. They've got those fucking wrist flashlights, which are the worst flashlights, I think, out of any any sci-fi possible. Like, you can't use your hand anymore with this flashlight. You're either pointing your wrist like Iron Man at whatever you're trying to illuminate or... You're using your hand like a normal person and turning this flashlight into flashlight into complete garbage. Anytime I see it, they piss me off. They got their tricorder in one hand, their their Iron Man flashlighting around. He's not tapping his com badge, so it seems like it's a open com channel. And sure, and that happens a lot. And you'd think that like Chakote would have heard like, "Oh, hey, who's in there?" and all this other stuff. Yet they seem completely oblivious. Like the, the com badge is just fucking with Neelix. Like, I hate this guy. I'm going to go get this motherfucker killed and like picking when it's going to cut off. It, it's like what I was saying before. Chakotay has the, all the authority of a substitute teacher. Neelix has no problem completely ignoring and not even acknowledging Chakotay's orders. He's just going to meander out until he gets himself, you know, snatched up by some stranger danger. Like, well, I mean, specifically what happens is he gets his he gets zapped by the the stranger danger beam. Mm-hmm. They find him. They book him back up to the ship. They're like, what's wrong with him? This dude's doctors, like freaking out. Yeah, he's convulsing. The doctor's like, give me this blood gas inhibitor. It's like on this shelf. They roll. He rolls out with it. 
puts slaps on him and goes, okay, that'll keep him alive for an hour, but after that, he's going to die. They they bring the camera around to the doctor and he says his lungs have been taken out. Yeah, that's pretty brutal. And just straight been space Kalimad right out of his fucking chest. Kalimad. Which is like pretty that's a that's a that's a throw the brakes on moment like that's that's definitely some new shit i thought that that was really awesome like uh you know there's only so many things you can do to raise the stakes in episodic star trek world obviously the the far right to the spectrum is permanently killing off cast members which you don't see happen very often you got you know, Tasha Yar being the most potent, but by and large episodes reset to where they are before. So I thought that like having your fucking lungs ripped out in the blink of an eye, pretty scary in the, in the what's possible of a Star Trek episode. And as I go back to uh, our first episode where we discussed, you know, would you want to be in Starfleet and really Starfleet officers are just guinea pigs in the, the machine of dark horror that could possibly exist in the uh, the Star Trek universe, I'd say that would have to be a new, very high entry to be rumored around in Starfleet Academy of like, oh, shit, what do we just get into? What? I could get shot with a taser that will rip my fucking organs out? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> hold up. Yeah, I, yeah, that would definitely probably give a few potential enlistees a lot of pause. Like, hmm, maybe I can sit on this planet filled with my utopian perfect ideal of having anything I want anytime I want. Mm-hmm. Um, thus exceeding any wealth that has ever ever existed for any person at any time yeah. prior to this. Or I could go on a starship, perhaps get stranded in a part of the galaxy that has a bunch of organ-stealing buttholes. Monsters. Who will, who will just rip my shit out and then leave me to die in a styrofoam cavern. Like, yeah. That's, yeah. that's, yeah, I get Next it. Next uh, hallway they reused from the previous shit episode. So the, uh... The, they have a quick confab in, the, in sickbay where they discuss how, what the fuck do you mean his, his lungs are gone. Um, and uh, Janeway says, I'm going to go and beam directly into this danger again. Before they even get into that, though, during this this medical thing, and again, jumping back into this replicator dilemma, oh, you know, we don't have uh, replicators for food or this or that. Fucking doctor straight up like, well – Normally, I would just replicate him a brand new pair of lungs. Like, what the fuck? Like, have they ever really discussed in any of the Trek stuff before just replicating replacement body parts before? I know there's a one TNG episode where a barrel falls on Worf and breaks his back and replicating some part of his spine is like a huge deal. But, I mean, he's just like, meh. They talk about getting him an artificial set of lungs, which would, (laughs) would fit in with the idea of Picard's artificial heart. So the idea here is they've they've managed to make reasonably uh compatible artificial organs for critical things so that that's the question you think that these would be a replicated prosthetic not like a new hey and it even talks on it later like we know everything that's in neelix or anybody because we have their transporter patterns like we could just selectively replicate janeway specifically says artificial lungs Okay. Okay. Well, I can buy in on that then. Yeah. So can I. Uh, What I can't buy in on is the conclusion they come to here in a minute. But Janeway beams directly into danger again. Without even a fucking word being said by Chakotay. Like they just had Snarf Snarf get his lungs stolen. And the captain's like, I'm going to go take the most important down there. And Chakotay's like, 
go ahead, bitch. That's just another inch closer to this being my motherfucking ship. Hey, I mean, Chakotay's got his eyes on those Delaney sisters. He's, yeah, he's got he's got is. he's got Menage et Trois in his mind, and he's like, "Yeah, go ahead, go go down there and get your shit stole out your body, Captain Janeway. That's fine. Yeah, bring bring the Vulcan. Go ahead, go ahead, go do that. <laughs> that traitorous motherfucker. She's like, uh, "Hey, go grab the Type Three phasers. Uh, what what is a Type Three phaser? Because they look like the Type Two to me." Yeah, I didn't see any special type of phaser. I when I when I hear Type Three, I assume the rifle type not the compression yeah. type but the the classic rifle type um but i didn't see any of the security guards with that they all had their service nines so she gets ready to shuffle off they they discuss that they can't replicate the lungs but then here's a super hail mary they're gonna fix his lungs up with hologram lungs instead okay here's where it starts to break down for me they try and techno babble an explanation for why holographic lungs would work and again tom paris is our audience cipher for asking the obvious question and saying, okay, well, wait a second. Holograms are just energy bound by a magnetic field. There's no, any actual matter involved. So how can holographic lungs possibly work? Right. Which is the right, right question to be asking. That is the exact correct question to ask. And the answer is this stupid slap joke about how, uh, the doctor can be both substantial and insubstantial depending on how he sets his settings, which doesn't answer the underlying question. It's not matter. You're not actually putting lungs that can turn carbon dioxide into oxygen in the man's chest. It's still just energy that doesn't doesn't do anything. But 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 wait, it gets worse. As if uh, the confusing techno babble roundabout way to fix up uh, snarf snarf here is not enough. We need to ship in Kess. Now I want to go ahead and give a shout out to some of our guys that we got on uh, our Facebook group discussing these episodes. Uh, and one of them put me into contact with a situation that I did not know of before. And that is Kess in real life is batshit crazy. I, I feel like as both your co-host and your friend, Peter, I failed you tremendously in not making you aware of the fact that the actress that played Kess went for reals cray cray. Did they write her off the show because like she started flipping out or did this not really start happening until well after they got rid of her? To my knowledge, uh, the write out was entirely based on wanting to get Jerry Ryan on the show and up the, the, the sex, sex appeal sex appeal factor and that therefore there was effort put in pretty well before the the seven of nine changeover happened to preface it because it, when when we get there it's a pretty gradual explanation as to Kess leaving it wasn't something that just happened suddenly so i think that's sometimes a, like a retro explanation that she went crazy in real life so obviously she was going crazy then well that article they showed like she was like naked fighting the cops with kids in the yard oh no no like kids were mad and she was like showing her boobs and butts to kids there's something just really crazy out there so i feel like this news article i've been introduced to uh, anytime kess pops on screen is really gonna hang a, a long shadow over these scenes but she shows up uh you've got space nurse tom paris the baddest boy in scrubs in the <laughs> in the delta quadrant yes you got the emergency uh hologram program the one of the cool things i thought they did in this episode is really frame how inadequate the the medical situation is on the ship 
because the whole time I'm like, they need some extra fucking people. Like they beam back up with Neelix. They, you know, the, oh no, well, I guess I'm going to, eventually they get into high speed pursuit on somebody. You got your like go-to convict helmsman knocking around fucking uh, sick bay instead of, you know, on the bridge doing this stuff. But anyways, you got these guys here. Neelix is laying in bed. Kess shows up because, you know, they had to fucking get her in there. And they're about to pop in these holographic lungs to, you know, save uh, Neelix's life before his Band-Aid expires. And she starts putting this hard foot down like, I'm not going to let you do anything until you tell me exactly what's going on. Like, uh, listen, space uh, fruit fly, get the fuck out of here. You've got no authority on this ship. You're just delaying, you know, treatment on this guy. Shut up, leave and, and let us do medicine. And I think the doctor essentially puts it that way. He if he's super upfront and blunt. He says, "I'm going to do this because otherwise he'll die." So, do you want him to die? No. All right. Well, I'm going to do this then. So you should stand over here out of the way while I save Snarf Snarf. Yeah. Which I I will get to some of their dialogue here in a bit, but Kess has a a, a good beat later but this first part with the whole i'm not gonna let you do this thing that just seemed stupid yeah you're clearly doing stuff that's important let me get in the fucking way here it was also during this uh hey why is there absolutely no qualified medical personnel legitimately on the ship like i I don't know what the med bay compliment would have been past uh roga dinar who was probably really all they really needed because roga dinar was such an amazing badass but (laughs) i'm sitting like okay (laughs) So your whole medical crew died in this accident where you guys got unimpressively tossed across the galaxy. Like, I think there's some bigger problems here we need to look at. Like, how unsafe is this sick bay really that it killed 100% of the people that were in this room? Like, you feel what I'm putting down? Like, maybe we shouldn't be putting, like, wounded people and people who need to get better in this fucking death trap room. Like, maybe we should make this just, like, a storage closet and and relocate these people to a safer part of the ship. Just saying. To your point, Rogan uh, Dinar and his nurse both died in the premiere. So it was just the two of them were the only medical staff that were on the ship. Okay. Now, it could be that they only had the two on the ship because, again, like with everything else, they were expecting this to be a bounty hunt. They were just going to go bag some terrorists. They weren't going on a long exploration trip. So maybe this ship, if it were going to be going on a long journey, like some five-year mission out into the unknown territory, uh, it would have more medical personnel or a counselor or whatever. Bullshit. Uh, No way, dude. You're saying... Maybe if this long range exploration vehicle that was instead being in a uh, used in this hunter killer capacity to go track down terrorists and bring them to justice, like I would think that's where you're going to be like, hey, we might get fucked up a little bit. Maybe we should be ready for casualties. But whatever, bad writing and and silliness, whatever. You know, the whole thing with the holographic lungs, even if the explanation didn't make much sense obviously works for the time being mm-hmm. neelix comes to back in sick bay with his fake lungs we're not gonna spend too much time talking about it by mutual agreement because oh my god it's he's just the worst. Part of the he's fucking real. he's the fucking worst neelix is the worst in this episode he's just every stereotypical terrible patient trope yeah. rolled into one character he's whiny he's self-destructive uh he tells everyone suicidal to die yeah like oh, no. it's 
It's the worst. Boyfriend. Although, yes, Paris is definitely trying to lay it in Kim. Or, uh, yes. Or both. You know, Tom Paris (laughs) is the baddest boy in the Delta Quadrant. He doesn't care. Hey, look, that looks like some soft, silky, soft black hair. Uh, Harry's rocking there, maybe, you know. It's the 24th century. If we've learned anything, heteroflexible. Mm-hmm. Whatever. Yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, the, the, the part of the episode where they spend it in Sick Bay that has any meat on the bone to me whatsoever is the dialogue between the doctor and Kess later, where the doctor is, is going through the concerns you're talking about now, which is I can't believe I'm stuck doing this by myself. And I'm, I'm not designed to do this. Uh, but I don't have a counselor. I've got a patient that could have long-term psychological needs. I have no programming for that. I don't have a nurse that's really effective. I've got a, a, a part-timer convict that's usually driving the ship. Yep. Um, uh, you know, like, the fuck am I supposed to do? And and Kess breaks it down for him because, listen, you have so far already performed above and beyond. You've pioneered a new medical technology like that like in an hour like you figured out to save this man's life good job and then two you know you you have the capacity to learn right and he goes yes i was like well i guess you're gonna have to learn some more shit right like if this is your yeah. lot in existence guess what that's what you're gonna have to do and it's a great conversation because you see the the emergence of of the doctor's kind of personality and going from simply being self-aware to being something of a person uh, that he's, he's has agency that he's kind of conceptualizing of a situation. He's not just a piece of furniture that's going to get upset when you put your feet on him anymore. He's starting to have opinions. Yeah. One of the parts I did like out of the, uh, the snarf snarf and beds portion of the show is he starts bitching about the, ceiling and then later on you know Kess must have been in there with some drapes and cat toys hanging from the ceiling to keep him company and it just it looks so unhygienic and it's funny because uh, I there's that one episode in uh, Sunny in Philadelphia where they go to visit uh, uh, Sweet D and uh, Dennis's grandfather who's been in the hospital for a long time and Frank's been watching when they open the door to this guy's uh, hospital room it's just like this most scummiest apartment scene with like half-eaten cups of soup laying around oh, and yeah. like ugly ass lamps from the 70s and that's that's kind of what uh i started thinking in my head and i got a good laugh out of that i'd much prefer to do an always sunny in philadelphia podcast after having to watch shit like this but that's not our lot in life so snarf snarf hospital boring shit whatever i think we can gloss over the rest of that so janeway she takes her her new get shit done crew back down to lung rip alley right with their type three phasers Mm -hmm. they start scouting around uh harry kim they find out that one of the walls is hot and you know sure enough behind it is the goddamn hallway from episode three and in there they find uh the stereotypical horror show lab you know say they find in there no, what else they find in there is not a single goddamn locked door. Now, granted, if you're hiding your secret <laughs> layer, you're hiding your secret layer behind uh, holographic, you know, pretty convincing holographic walls. Maybe you don't feel the need to lock your doors anymore, but there's just no locked doors on the ship. There's no locked doors in the alien monster Frankenstein labs. Just everybody's just inviting everybody else to come fucking steal lungs. Arms, eyes, dilithium crystals, whatever. Was there a lot of locked doors in TNG? 
Maybe this is a 24th century thing. No, yeah, there were not. I, there was a marked absence of locked doors, as a matter of fact. So that's what I'm thinking, man. It's not just a Voyager thing. This is a this is a 24th century thing. Something happened. There was the Great Door Lock War, and mm-hmm. people just got a psychological block on this now. In the future, it doesn't matter if you're Alpha Quadrant or radically different species in the Delta Quadrants. Locked doors have been eradicated. Does not exist. So yeah, they're 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 sulking around. They start finding, you know, the the biology lab full of pickled livers and whatnot, some pig's feet in there, and, and God knows what else. And they, they, at this point, they obviously know that they've got a problem. Like this is this is a thing. Like someone is taking people's organs. They're growing shit. This is this is turning into some weird sort of you know installment of of a horror movie. I'm I'm poking fun at this hallway that we are seeing reused. R- really, the hallway is just fine. They. They redressed the set enough that, you know, if I wasn't sitting there with a, a notebook and a pen taking painful notes, I would have lost it on. The, the the cave looks all right, but this is the scene that kind of let me down. Like, I think this should have been a shocking, horrific reveal as to what they actually went into. And instead, it was just a really generic looking Star Trek alien room with a couple buckets around, like, the, the premise of the phage and what we'd ultimately find out to be the alien species, the Vidians, who are, you know, these monstrous creatures for sympathetic reasons, I think it's one of the most promising new races that we're going to encounter in Voyager. And for our first real view of their life, their culture, they should have spent more. They should have went harder on the, the shock factor here. Big disappointment. They tell you more than show you until maybe they felt like they needed to save the reveal of what these guys were all about until the end when you actually meet them. Mm. Uh, maybe, but they definitely do a lot of dialogue rather than showing you anything truly horrific. But they, they get hot on the trail of one of the aliens and and Tuvok actually wings it with a with a phaser shot. But apparently he had his phaser set to tickle. Yeah, apparently these Type 3 phasers ain't shit. Because all the guy does is he's just kind of, uh, and he drops his, (laughs) he drops his, his, uh, his tuning fork, his his organ theft device, Mm -hmm. uh, and, and beats feet, and apparently they get on their ship, they, they hit the gas, and they are gone before substitute teacher Chakotay can, can get his shit together and, and, and lock the tractor beam on these dudes, and they are out. So what happens here? Like, uh, you know, the the guy gets dinged by this uh, type 3 phaser on tickle studying. He runs through a hologram wall. They can't get in. Do the aliens, do these Vidians, like, transport up to a ship already in orbit? Or do they, like, was this ship docked and they, like, fly off the surface? We will never know because they don't show us anything. I'm trying to put together, like, who are these Vidians really? There's, you know, on some ways they seem like their technology equals to what Voyager's rocking. And then there's some parlor tricks that Voyager pulls on them that I'm like, why why was uh, Voyager able to get the upper hand here? It's it's really murky. And correct me if I'm wrong, these Vidians become, like, a pretty big deal in a few episodes, right? They do. One of the more efficiently effective... Uh, antagonist the show has for its early seasons and uh, I would say that it's sloppy writing I mean I my headcanon is that Chakotay was just like playing something on a pad like he was playing some some you know like candy Tetris crush. or something Candy Crush mm-hmm. and and he just failed to notice that some ship was like leaving at impulse 
uh, before yeah. Janeway called up and was like, hey, they just got away. And he's like, oh, shit. And then they went to warp. Oh, uh, shit. I was hoping they'd kill you while you're down there. Well, I guess I might as well beam you back up. <laughs> Maybe today isn't the day I become captain after all. They wind up entering pursuit and apparently the ship, whatever it is, is, is as fast as the Federation's fastest ship. Yes. And they can't catch it. So they're just in pursuit. We, we get all of the middle stuff with, with what's going on with, um, with Neelix being terrible. Uh, and eventually uh, the chase ends because this other ship uh, arrives at an asteroid and ro- rolls into it somewhere. Can we put on our uh, critical thinking hats here for a second? Uh, okay, hold on one second. Boop, go ahead. Okay, let me, let me put on my purple turtleneck and get my ugly uh, space jumpsuit on. I'm Janeway, mm-hmm. and I've picked up uh, some Johnny Nobody space snarf snarf, who cool. let's assume he doesn't have magical pheromones that are casting a spell on me to make me really care about this guy any more than I have. This dude just fucking annexed my my personal dining room. I already kind of got a little bit of beef with him about like stepping into my personal territory, right? Right, right. He begged his way onto an away team mission that he didn't really need to be a part of. Mm-hmm. He disobeyed direct orders. And again, they never touch on any of this stuff. Like nobody ever calls out to the fact like, hey, Neelix, you got your fucking lungs ripped out because you weren't following directions. And this is why in a military vessel, we pay attention and we follow orders because, you know, lives are on the line. But they never touch on that. So anyways, this guy through his own poor actions walked into a dangerous situation, a trap, mm-hmm. got his lungs stolen. We are dealing with an alien race that at the very least has technology that in some cases rivals, if not f- uh, exceeds their own. Like they beamed his fucking lungs out of his chest with a site-to-site transport. Like, they sure did. They've got some serious – they don't even know that this is like, you know, for harvesting. That could have just been like the way their guns work. That's just a really cruel, sadistic species. And the way they kill you is they fucking pull your lungs out. That is correct. Your ship's just as fast. They're going just as fast as you, just in, just fast enough that you can follow but not catch them. Mm-hmm. Are your ships tied in speed or are they just leading you deeper into a trap? Like, so you've got a crew member who's laid up. They're alive. Mm-hmm. But they're limited because of their own actions. They're dealing with their own consequences. You've got a technological rival, and they've just flown into a fucking a puzzle box of God knows what. That's correct. Do you take your whole ship, your Federation of Maquis crew, and do you pursue these superior foes into a very obvious trap over a space snarf snarf? Or do you cut your fucking losses and say, you know what? There was no dilithium there. We've already suffered heavy losses. Ultimately, I'm not accountable to this fucking uh, space snarf snarf. I got humans I need to get home. Turn the fucking ship around. Let's go. So I just about threw something at my TV when this happened. Because I said essentially all the things that you just said, albeit not with your eloquence, to my wife. Mm. And said in particular, snarf snarf's fine. He's just stuck in sickbay, but he's fine indefinitely. He can just chill out there, put on some fucking VR glasses, catch up on some TV until the doctor has another hour to science up another solution. (laughs) I mean, seriously, they already gave him fucking holographic lungs on a lark. I'm sure it won't take but a couple weeks for them to find some other way to fucking solve his problem. Some space plating, sculpt him new ones. 
So exactly. So what is there to say that the doctor wouldn't be able to figure out a solution to this if he's already figured out one? Why risk it? And even if you really wanted to, to get a little payback for these guys fucking with you, why in the hell would you go into a clearly, obviously, tactically disadvantaged situation? You're in a ship that's fast and maneuverable and high-tech, and you're going to eliminate all your advantages by going inside an asteroid where you can't fucking maneuver. And at best, you're going to get into a brawl, and that's if it's not an obvious trap. And even worse, Tuvok actually says, Ho, don't do it. He actually says, I know that your dumbass, Janeway, is going to want to take this ship into that fucking asteroid. And it's a bad idea. You know, it just dawned on me, with the death of Rogan and R, there is nobody really to put Janeway in check. Like, Picard had Crusher there. And if, you know, when, when Picard really pushed the limit of, of nutty bullshit, she could step in and be like, hey, look, dude, I'm shutting you down. You're unfit for command and you're done. Like, that does not exist in... Uh, Voyager anymore. You've got the security chief routinely protesting senior officer behavior. Chakotay completely complicit every fucking bad decision uh, Janeway's making and and no point have we seen anything like, hey, you know what? Maybe the Maquis plan to overthrow the fucking ship. Maybe it's not the craziest idea anymore. But whatever. Anyways, they cut to the engine room and uh, Surprisingly, space snarf snarf and his child bride are nowhere near there for once. Uh, oh, right. He's crippled. Hey, you know what? Hey, jump right back to that. The fucking guy who was always just wandering your ship unchecked. Now he's confined to sickbay. I'm not seeing this as a bad situation. This is better ship security. This is less, uh, this is less open flame in pressurized oxygen rich environments here. Um, anyways, so Seska's now in engineering. Is Seska be Seska, right? Yeah, yeah. Seska's in an orange uniform instead of blue now. She's working in yeah. engineering. Yeah. Okay, so you you noticed that too? Like they mm-hmm. switched her from science over to like uh, engineering. I thought that was that one jumped out at me. So yeah, she flies the fucking ship like it's the Millennium Falcon on the run from Imperials into this goddamn asteroid where they're having power issues and this and that and like. At what point you say, hey, look, this is too bad of an idea. Get the fuck out of there. Uh, that answer is never. They just let her fly right in. And what are we treated to inside of the asteroid? Yet another goddamn reused plot element from the last fucking couple episodes. And we have, again, not one Voyager, but like 60 Voyagers, courtesy of the old false reflection, diffracted time, whatever. Yeah, I mean, it's literally Funhouse Mirrorland. And so they get in there and then... First, they can't figure out where the hell to go because uh, now there's all this false sensor reading because it's a trap. Uh, they continue to try and like use some technobabble. Oh, we're going to extend our shields out to sort of feel our way through. And then more trap kicks in and their power starts getting drained. So this is clearly a honey trap to bring ships in because guess what? These guys steal organs. Yes. So of course they're trying to capture you and take all of your shit. Because that's what they do. They steal organs. 
Yeah, these guys are like worse than space vampires. Like they're just <laughs> I mean, we're dealing with super monsters here. So again, you know, it's the old like, "Oh gosh, which ship is the right ship?" Uh, you know, it's it's one of the two fucking things we seem to be able to draw in as far as space dilemmas go for Voyager. I thought the resolution here was kind of cool into turning the uh, you know, turning the the power down on the phasers and just ricocheting phaser fire all over the fucking place until they hit something hard. Brings up a pretty interesting question to me, though. So the walls in this asteroid trap somehow just reflect phasers as if it's a, a mirror on sunlight, right? That's correct. Which seems silly and stupid to me or whatever, but it's like you're now dealing with a race that can create a coating that only reflects, not only reflects light, but shoots your own fucking guns back at you. Like, I would hope that these Vidians, like their ship is covered in the same material. So if anybody shoots them, it just fucking I know, right? bounces that shit right off the hole. It sounds, it sounds like some pretty cool shit. We should have all of our starships basked in it so that yeah. they are phaser proof. But whatever. They, Why are you hitting yourself? Why are you hitting yourself? Why are you hitting yourself? They, they find the Vidians uh, ship and apparently they didn't get their shields up or whatever. I don't know. Um, they don't explain it, but they're able to pick both of the Vidians that are on the ship off. And we get a, a, our first look at these guys, and they are gnarly as shit. They are all kinds of have the this layers of zombie-style rotted flesh makeup on, and it's nasty. Did you like the makeup effect on this? I mean, I did. For, I thought it was yeah. very effective. I thought it held up well. Like, I thought the, the one guy having the cloudy white eye looked really cool. And I thought, like, the... The mishmash noses were the real good selling points to me. I also I like, like that very obvious, patches. like like the obviously different skin patches. The uh, one guy's got like some sort of like gorn green scaly dinosaur skin. Yeah, like because you can tell like they got skin grafts from different races, and that's why they're all patched together. And you get a little mm. dialogue. These guys are are they're the, again they're called Vidians. We already talked about that's their name. They're suffering from a disease that they call the phage, and apparently it has ravaged their population for millennia and they have resorted to this process where they hunt for organs to replace these failing organs due to the disease so they have super technologically advanced medical technology they can take things from cadavers uh, but some things they can't some things they have to take fresh so they can replace their failing organs and sure enough that is why they ambushed snarf snarf and stole his lungs um, one of the dudes seems subservient to the other. He's like his his like servant for getting stuff, for getting uh, organs. I, I thought that was kind of an interesting kind of point. That guy being uh, the one with the super heavy overacting British accent. That is correct. <laughs> yeah, one of these guys I thought did a pretty good job like presenting his character as a pitiable, tragic figure. And the other guy was just like this... Hammer films, space vampire, flourishing, rolling his R's, uh, dickhead. Well, I think both of them were struggling to act in the amount of makeup they were in. So they were trying to overact. I mean, I'm sure it was uncomfortable as hell. But it's the one with the milky eye that was was the, the inferior of the two. I, I thought he was like a doctor that the other guy had like hired. I don't know if it was like really a a vassal slave role so much as like, yeah, this dude's like my, uh, 
my organ coyote and he goes out and body hunts new lungs and shit for me. But uh, I thought they really they copped to stealing organs and being vile things like without any prompting whatsoever. Yeah, they, they gave all of their backstory willingly. Uh, and the primary the uh, of the two, the one that does most of the talking, he he pretty much fesses up to like, yeah, we became monsters to survive. And yeah. it sucks. And I hate my life. And sure enough, they confess to the fact that that dude's got Neelix's lungs already in him. And they um, fucked him up. Yeah. Like those changed. lungs, it's a one-way trip going into Vindian physiology. Like for whatever magic technology they got, like once this shit gets plugged in, it does not come out. Or so they say. The the sympathetic Vindian, we'll call him, mm-hmm. uh, definitely says, okay, you know what? If, if I got to die for this, then great, because then I don't have to suffer with this terrible disease anymore. So do go ahead and, and do what you got to do here. Strange alien I've never met. Because I've earned it. I'm terrible. Which leads to the best scene in, in the episode by far. Where Janeway rips off an impassioned uh, monologue. Really emotionally wrecked by the circumstances that she has found herself in. Vis-a-vis these Vidians, The circumstance with Neelix. And what she isolated in the delta quadrant by herself can really do um to provide any kind of justice to the situation and what she does is ultimately comes to the conclusion well i can't kill you because that would be horrifying i can't imprison you because i got no place to imprison you and i'm not taking you with me forever um so that means i have to let you go but be clear if I ever see any of your kind ever again, I will fucking kill you. I will kill you. I will kill your friends. I will kill your family. That I will spare no expense. I will murder the shit out of you. Which, to my knowledge, is the only time we ever see a captain say straight out, if I ever see your face again, I'm going to shoot it off. This whole transporter scene was very solid. My quick question is, you know, you know, we're dealing with a technological equals, if not better. How did they get fucking beamed off of their ship? Do they not even have basic shields? And it leads me into a lot of deeper questions, which I'll encapsulate towards the end of the our podcast here. But I was reading the the production notes on this, and uh, it said that Kate Mulgrew was actually like getting teary eyed uh, before they started. Uh, filming the scene thinking about you know really what would uh, a virus that bubonic plagues people up and turns them into like super victims you know Mm -hmm. so she was already emotionally charged and i think that's why this performance for her came off as strong as it did um and it tore me in a couple of different directions you know the the starfleet purist in me says well she's got a point and yeah you know what else is she gonna do also, I'm ready to victim blame Snarf Snarf for creating this situation himself. But then the other part of me is like, you just walked into this huge goddamn trap. You laid all of this ship's lives and resources on the line to to go in here because you wanted these two guys so fucking bad. You're willing to put everything on the line to get it. You got them now. And, and we're going to go back down this rabbit hole of like, oh, well, the prime directive says I can't do something to the detriment of my own crew. And to the advantage of aliens we're never going to see again. 
this is like I feel like the third time she's broken out the prime directive to try to justify these self-harming actions like again mutiny is just looking better and better and better like she doesn't you put she a, doesn't invoke the prime directive though she does not say i can't do this because of the prime directive she straight up says i can't do it because it's fucking horrifying and, mm, and i feel I like the underlying key, tone was that's a key difference like if she had said the prime directive says i would be with you but that isn't how she frames the argument she frames it of like i don't have the moral luxury of just murdering you my people find that kind of thing abhorrent i can't do that and i feel like that resolves my problem with her suddenly letting them go like i get that she's like okay well what am i gonna do now i caught the car i'm the dog who caught the car and now I, I don't got anything I can fucking do with it. I still I still think there's some very prime directive moral high horse lines going on here. And again, if I if I was one of these crew members, I'd be rolling my eyes like, you know, you can't get back on the horse. You you fucked us. You strayed from the prime directive. You've created this disaster we're all now dealing with. Give up these fucking lofty uh, morals. And 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 let's let's deal with the situation you've created for us. But anyway, so they the you know these Vidians, the more sympathetic guy, you know, he's like, oh, I'm an artist and a poet, and they lay out their whole backstory. Uh, and he says, hey, let let me see this guy that you know we wronged. You know, she's showing us mercy. Maybe we can do something. And wouldn't you know it, they go down there. We do get a quick funny scene when they're doing their scans that Tuvok has like the quickest draw on his service nine in the West. Yeah. Because I mean, he, he that thing wheels around towards him and he's his phaser is in hand and in the guy's face instantaneously. Sure enough, these Vidians are good at medical stuff, so they, they make sure they know uh, to let everyone know that they can put a new lung in Neelix. Someone's just gotta volunteer for the uh, for the procedure. And sure enough, of course, uh, Kess volunteers. Taking it at face value, they get a nice wave of the wand, and at the end of the day, everything's fine, and Snarf Snarf's back in operation, and Kess takes one for the team, and luckily this deus ex uh, alien technology is able to save the day. And off they go, seemingly having made the best of a bad situation. Now, again, I haven't watched super deep into Voyager and, and, and whatever. Let me let me put my critical thinking cap back on. Why were these aliens knocking around on this planet? Like, this is obviously some sort of a storage planet. Do you think it was random happenstance that they just happened to be in this hidden holographic layer uh, by the time that Voyager rolled around? I think headcanon uh, for me on this is that because these guys are, are living as both scavengers and essentially ambushers that kill people and steal their organs, having these hidden bases and like planetoids and asteroids with traps and false readings from like dilithium that would potentially draw okay. in potential victims. Like this all makes sense so for a predatory species preying on people to survive. Okay, so so the the dilithium readings, it's not was it was it they ran their facility off of dilithium or was this thing emitting false readings of dilithium being here to draw people in to like, you know, spider to the web? You know, um I guess they never specify which it is. I I, I like to think that it I like to think that it's a trap. Okay, so and I'm agree with you. It's a trap. You've gone down there, there's holographic funhouse. You got your fucking dude's lungs off. 
you chase these guys who can go just fast enough to outrun you, but slow enough that you can follow them into a bigger funhouse mirror of space laser reflective technology. Despite all the superior technology you've seen from so far, you're able to beam them onto your ship, right? Right. They don't have shields. If it was as easy as just beaming people off their ship, like the transport would be the most vicious weapon in the galaxy. I just think that was sloppy writing. I think they were getting to the end of their runtime and they didn't have time to justify why. Sure. Somehow that didn't, you know, they didn't have shields or whatever and they just beamed them off. But but we're using our critical thinking cap. I'm I'm trying to make Voyager fun by by filling in some of the sloppy bullshit here. You got these guys, they're predators. You've brought them on their ship. They've pitched their fucking sob story. These guys, they're they're organ collectors. You're now showing them inside what your ship looks like. You're taking these guys into your medical. You're letting them do full scans on all these guys are building a fucking inventory on what has now become the USS Spare Parts Lollipop. <laughs> it's true because you let you them go with all that data. You just yeah. feel like, okay, now that you know what we're all about, why don't you tell all of your friends that there's this yeah. this hot shit Corvette starship out there with half its ship broken trying to find some fuel filled with sea organs. With universal donors. Like those guys had to like beam back over to their ship and just like sit there for a second and be like, they are really fucking stupid. Like – we're monsters. We just stole that guy's lungs. They let us in there. They let us like fucking like scan every barcode and get everybody's like DNA. And they just let us go like, we're going to go sell this fucking. <laughs> let me jump on Reddit real quick. These dudes are <laughs> fucked. Uh, that's not my biggest problem with the episode. My okay. biggest problem is it, this is the perfect why Janeway is hated episode. Let me let me put it this way. Kate Mulgrew is an actress that was born to play a Starfleet captain. She is got this confidence in her performance. She, she has that that commanding tenor in her voice, that posture. She does everything that suggests that she can be a commanding presence that leads people. And she's a talented enough actress that you really believe it, particularly in scenes where she feels comfortable and she doesn't have too much technological dialogue. She fucking kills it. And that scene when they're in that transporter room and she is laying out the horrific situation that she finds herself in and then lets them know, if I see your stupid melting face again, I'm a fucking kill you i believe it and it's great and it's also the same episode where she leads her ship into the world's most obvious trap after her tech her tactical officer tells her point blank bitch i know you're gonna do it don't fucking do it it's a bad fucking idea her tactical officer and personal confidant her the writers for this show can never figure out how they want to write Janeway. And so on one hand, she's hard-nosed, hard as nails, you know, commanding presence, captain of, of, of the Starship Voyager, and you buy it and you're there. And the other half, she's just doing the dumbest shit that you can possibly think of because A, the plot needs it to happen for whatever reason, or B, because some crew member needs a cookie. It's the stupidest, dumbest shit. And it happens constantly in the show. The very next episode we are going to watch is the infamous I'm going to endanger the ship for coffee episode. Like, it, it's stupid as hell. And it's such a disservice 
to to Kate Mulgrew, who is way better than the bullshit she gets forced to, to serve up sometimes. It's a disservice to the rest of the show that is sometimes quite good when it's not hampered by such amateurish, shitty writing. I agree completely. So that uh, that is phage overall uh again i'm gonna stand by my decision i think i think it's better than you were given a credit for when we were talking about initially certainly the uh the space snarf snarf medical bay stuff goes on a little bit too long ultimately they connect a couple dots and uh, kes gets uh, recruited into a nurse role which i think was some pretty good writing to their credit like really demonstrating a value of there being a problem and, and using some of these new resources to fix it uh doing a good job of establishing limited good and the need to scavenge uh, did a good job at uh, adding some more horrific elements to an unknown galaxy full of danger and and new and, and a cool alien race uh, I'd say probably the second best episode for me for the season and uh, I look forward to seeing these Vidians a little bit more there are pieces of this that are definitely good the Vidians are a horrifying idea and something unique and Janeway's speech is amazing near the end of the episode. Yeah. But I, got, I was so angry over this this constant Janeway paradox that... Suspension of disbelief, man. It's I can't do it. I mean, it's just... It's so... No other commanding figure in any Star Trek uh, series that I've watched has to suffer through so such schizophrenic writing. You don't, histrionic almost you don't you don't see this happen to kirk picard uh you don't even see it happen to archer and you don't see it happen to cisco they they're written much more consistently and the plot uh is is formed around the ideas of these characters and janeway just gets the short shrift every time and in, in that her her character gets suborned to the needs of the story she's going to make the, whatever dumbass decision is necessary to further the script and because this this episode has such a clear example of it, of her being awesome and her being a complete and absolute idiot, I just watched way so angry. Uh, and, and nobody else saying boo about it. You know, oh, no. you got a someone saying boo about it and her going, "Well, too bad, we're going in the trap." What else? Anything else? Or we we no, cover everything? I've, there, I've I think. spent. I got it all out of my system. I want to thank everybody for for sticking around and saying, uh, you know, through what with uh, what. It turned out to be a little bit of one of our longer episodes here. Uh, we're appreciating the feedback. We're starting to get rolling in. Yeah, um, yeah. We, good to see that we're not just completely ranting in a vacuum over here. Yeah, sometimes you yell into the void and, and nothing happens, but we're yelling into the void and and uh, we're getting some people enjoying the show, listening, giving some feedback. I actually got my first email from a, a listener. Um, so more bring give us more feedback. You can you can like us on Facebook. You can follow us on Twitter, or you can email us at vger please v g e r p l e a s e at gmail dot com. How do they find the uh, the Facebook group? Is it uh, is there apostrophe in there? Think, true to the yes, true to the actual spelling of vger. It's v apostrophe g e r. Please, you search that uh, on on Facebook and you'll find it. And there you'll find all of our links to our RSS feed, our uh, links to uh, website, as well as uh, being on iTunes. Uh, we'll be on Spotify in a couple weeks. Uh, we really got it, nice. We got it on YouTube, so you know there'll there'll be no stone unturned when it comes to places to consume 
uh, us shouting into the void. If you got objections, if you got some agreements, if you got some insights or things that you think we're getting wrong, uh, you know, it's nice to see those emails, but throw them up online, man. Let other people chew on it, turn it into a community discussion. The more the merrier. Indeed. All right. Uh, you got a nice uh, uh, um, uh, quotation from the Ferengi Bible for us? I absolutely do. Um, and this is going to be aimed specifically at our new Vidian friends, the wolves that you just took to tour your uh, your your floating flesh buffet. Uh, that would be the rule of acquisition number 48. The bigger the smile, the sharper the knife. <laughs> So I hope you enjoy those uh, that that Kesslung Neelix because I think you have done fucked the whole crew into some hot water. Anyways, this is uh, Peter signing off. And this is Joseph. Thank you for listening to Vija Please, a hateful voyage through the Delta Quadrant. See you in a week when I got my nice Cancun sun tan, and uh, we'll go from there. Sounds good, man. Peace. All right.